It's good to see you guys here today on the first time we've been back from coronavirus. Hopefully you guys have all handled coronavirus fairly well. Um, in discussions, it seems to be up and down with, with a lot of people. Initially, I, I got a bit stir-crazy at home, um, sitting in my seat or in my office all day, looking at screens. Who else had that similar experience? <laughs> Mick, uh, Kaylee. There was somebody else. Uh, who was it? Uh, Eugene. Eugene, you had a similar experience just watching screens and it just, oh, it's just frustrating. Um, and it's good to be out and about now and have some of the uh, guidelines sort of eased up a little bit. Um, but I had a scary moment this morning when I woke up and I started to get ready for church. Uh, at six o'clock in the morning, I, I pulled out my iPad from the cupboard that it was stored in and uh, I'd fully charged it uh, because I was expecting to go to church and then the COVID situation came in and, and I, I was like, okay, well, I'll turn it off and store it until next time I open up my iPad. It was dead. I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> so it's been on charge since I woke up this morning and I've got, I should have enough battery, 60, 68%. <laughs> it was just in a coma. So I had it on charge over there. You may have seen it, but um, it should be good for today. But I'm really excited because I'm so glad that we can come back and meet, even though there is this sort of little bit of social distancing with like staying away from each other a certain distance or whatever. I know somebody, some people have been breaking that already, um, me included. <laughs> so... Oh, by hugging and stuff like that. Oh, no, 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 sorry. No, not, I haven't seen anything. It's all right. <laughs> I didn't say anything. No one tell anyone. It. <laughs> but it's such a pleasure to be back. And I did miss coming to church. And, and I'm sure some of you probably miss coming to church and seeing your wonderful faces and, and just sharing in God and sharing in, with each other. It's just a tremendous thing. Um, and, and yeah, so it's so great to be back. And I'm going to pray before I begin and get stuck into the Word. Um, dear Father in heaven, uh, you've already been invited here, but Lord, we just pray that you're here again um, and that you're here, God, in our hearts through your Holy Spirit and that you're teaching us, you're, you're convicting us, you're, you're sharing with us your immense love for each one of us and that through that we're being changed from the inside out, Lord. And here we are today to talk about um, things that we experience through life and, and how, Lord, you want to heal us from some of those negative experiences. And so, Lord, I pray that you're, you're especially here with your Holy Spirit, guiding people's hearts, that you're here with your Holy Spirit, teaching people about your love and that those wounds will be healed by you because we're all suffering from them. And we all need you as our saviour. And so, Lord, we commit today, right now, to you and wholly to you. I pray this in your loving, blessed name, Jesus. Amen. Aging is inevitable, isn't it? Day after day, I just think, like, you know, now that I'm, I'm not afraid, I'm 36, okay? I don't care if you know how old I am. <laughs> a fossil. <laughs> I've got grey. I remember when I was 27 and I found my first grey hair. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a midlife crisis, okay? <laughs> and I was like, if I'm having a midlife crisis, does that mean I'm only going to live till, what is it, 50, 52? No, 54. 
27 plus 27, 54. <laughs> um, so uh, am I only going to live that long having this midlife crisis of gray hair? But it's inevitable, isn't it? We grow old. It just happens. And we go from being a baby where everything is just ahead of us, ahead of us, ahead of us, to, to like, you know, being a teenager where you're like, yeah, it's still everything's ahead. Like, but right now I'm just going to have fun or whatever it is. And then you start getting a bit more responsible. Uh, sorry, I'm not saying you guys aren't responsible. Matt, you're probably responsible. <laughs> Your dad's up there? Nah. <laughs> Sorry, David, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but we grow and, and, you know, you get to like 20, 30 and you start having more responsibilities. Oh, I've got to vote and I've got to do this every so often and if I don't, I'll get fined or I've got to... Uh, do all of these sorts of things and then you get to be in midlife and you, perhaps you've got families and whatever and, and you're actually starting to look back on life and seeing, oh, I remember this time and I remember that and, and so on and so forth. Even, even in the youth group, sometimes I catch myself going, I remember when chocolate was only a dollar <laughs> or 50 cents. Um, when, when the older generation are like, we remember when it was five cents. <laughs> so, <laughs> or for those who are really old, it was a penny. <laughs> and, and it just, it's inevitable, this walk through time. But I want to talk about experiences that we have during, during the aging process. We are always experiencing life we have five senses, in fact, that we're experiencing life with, okay? And that we're just receiving all of these inputs of experiencing life, and some of those experiences are good, excellent experiences. Like when I got married, that was an excellent experience for me, the wedding day and the excitement that there was there, but there's, some been, there's been some negative experiences along that, along that journey. And hopefully most of you were brought up in happy, loving, caring families with, with parents that loved you and parents that, that adored you and supported you and encouraged you, but some of you perhaps were not brought up in those types of families. And I want to say I'm sorry if you were brought up in something similar. But what I've discovered is that you receive negative experiences or what I'm going to use is the term wounds because wounds is a biblical term. The Bible talks about you and I receiving wounds on our heart. And I believe there's two types of wounds. And I'm going to describe the first one and hopefully it gives you enough hints to think about what the next one is. The first one are, are wounds of violation. Things that are done to us that should never have been done. And perhaps already you're thinking about those wounds in your life that things have happened to you that you're like, that should never have happened to me. I remember meeting a guy a few years ago and he said with tears in his eyes, this was through a visitation that I had at his home, and he would, he would we'd been talking at this point for almost an hour and a half, and through tears in his eyes, he shared, he said, the earliest moment I, recur I have of my dad is him telling me that I'm not good enough and I can never do anything right. And this was like a tape in his mind playing over and over and over, this deeply impactful, deeply embedded, embedded experience in his life that if, you, if you're interested in the science of it, it's embedded in your limbic system, the frontal lobe. If I've got that right, Eugene? I don't know, doctors? Anyone else? <laughs> 
in the brief Googling that I've done, limbic system, <laughs> the frontal lobe of your mind, and it's stored there in the frontal lobe of your mind. And it was, it was just continually repeating itself to this gentleman. And now he treats his own kids the same way. The same way that his dad treated him, he treats his kids that way. And he doesn't know how to stop this cycle. Now, if you have wounds of violation, what do you think the next type of wounds are? No? No takers? Sorry? No. I'd still consider them wounds of violation. But wounds of vacancy... Wounds, that, wounds of, of things that should have been done to you that were not done. So things like, what might that be? What might be an example of wounds of vacancy? Things that should have happened to you that weren't hap- didn't happen. Sorry? Love. You should have had a parent, if you didn't have a parent that said that they loved you, you should have had a parent that said that they loved you. You should have had people to support you. You should have had people there to listen to you when you're going through hard times. People there to lean on when you're doing it tough. And so you have these two types of wounds, wounds of, wounds of violation and wounds of vacancy. And these wounds affect us. They affect our identities. They affect who we are. And as I said, it's, the science behind it is that when things happen to you, it's stored in your frontal lobe, and everything that has ever happened to you is stored here. And this is actually your decision-making part of your brain, so every decision that you make goes through the storage, goes through your experiences that have happened to you. And so it, it, it changes the way we react to things, it changes the way we view the world around us, and it changes our view on ourselves. I know you love stories about myself, Matt. <laughs> when I was young, I wanted to be like my dad. His name's Lance, and some of you have actually met him. He was here uh, a few months ago, I think in February-ish. Um, With mum, they came over to see how Kelly and I were doing and and they stayed with us for a couple of weeks and they came here for one of our Sabbaths and it was lovely and and, and we had a great time and um, I wanted to be just like him when I was young. When I was growing up to about 10 years of age, I was like, I want to be like dad. He He was a pastor of a church like I am. He was a strong man, he was confident, he was the, he was the leader of, uh, the head of our household. He was also a loving dad. He would take us on many walks and hikes and adventures and and things like that. And he was always there. Wonderful dad. But when I was 10, my dad had something called a nervous breakdown. And he left home to go to a mental hospital for two, two and a half years. This was when I was 10 and my brother was 11 turning 12 And he left for two years, and when he came back after two years, he was a different person. He'd changed. He was. It was almost like he was a shell of a. He was a a shell of a person, and there was something in there, but it was not what we were used to. 
And even today, he suffers from, from things like anxiety attacks, and, he, and he's developed who he is as a person. He was, take, he was on a lot of medication when he first came back, and at, at 12 years old, 13 years old, I didn't know what was going on. I don't, you know, I don't know what medication does or chemical, chemical imbalances in the brain do, and he comes back a completely different person, and I'm like, who is this body here who's my dad, apparently, but a completely different person? And even today, he still suffers from anxiety attacks and he still gets worn out just by being in the presence of other people and he, and he gets exhausted very easily. And I rem- even when he was here, we went to church up in Geraldton and then after we'd finished with the, the service and, and, uh, and we had lunch, we were straight back to our Airbnb and he went to, he went to sleep straight away. And that's just a reality for us because of how much it taxes him. And when my dad did this at 10 years old, my reaction was, well, I lost a a father figure. I lost my dad, somebody I looked up to immensely. I lacked confidence in myself. I internalized my problems. And even my wife today, she'll say, Cameron, when when something wrong is, is happening, he just goes and internalizes it. I wanted to be anything but a pastor. And I I still remember the list I had of like, first it started off with accounting because they got lots of money and then I found out accounting was boring. (laughs) Sorry if you're an accountant out here. Accounting was boring, so I was like, oh, I want to be a police officer and then I want to be a fireman and then I want to be in the army and I want to do this and and I've got a whole list of things. And even, even when I did start working, there's a list of different jobs that I did. Anything but, but, but be a pastor. It created, I created this different identity to portray to people around me. I, I, yeah, I just, it was just a crazy time and, I, and reflecting on it, even now it's, it's a bit hard. And that's just one of the many wounds I've received in, in my life and I'm sure you've received many impactful wounds as well. And it's not a competition here to say, oh, I'm wounded more than you. No. I think each wound in our own context is important and difficult. Each one of us can think of these wounds that we've received in our lives and they've had deep, impactful impressions upon who we are and how we live our lives. These negatives these negative wounds or these wounds impact us and they, have, they tend to create and portray us in a certain way. They, we portray ourselves to others to kind of hide these wounds, to hide the difficulty that we've had and the experience that we had. And the way I portrayed myself was actually to be a class idiot. And thank goodness that Carolyn doesn't remember teaching me. I do. Oh, you do? <laughs> but I was an idiot I, all through high school. I think you only had me for grade 10, 11-ish, um, so good. <laughs> it was a short period of time. But I was an idiot. I, I know, I probably still am an idiot. <laughs> I didn't want to let anyone else see who I actually was and how much I was hurting from the loss of my dad. And I wanted to be anything, as I said, anything but a pastor. Because look what it had done to my dad. 
It was like wearing a coat, wearing something that covers all these hurts and these pains and these cuts and these wounds that I'm experiencing. What I'd show the world was completely different to what I was actually experiencing. And that's not much different from today, is it? Now we just have better technology to do it in, like Instagram and Facebook. What I put on Facebook, you don't know what's actually happening in my life. I'll just make it appear like everything's lovely, everything's fine, everything's great. But you don't know what's going on. I want to tell you about a biblical story, a Bible story. And it starts with Isaac, Abraham's son, and it's found in Genesis 25, 21. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn there with me. And I'll just, I'm not going to read it all through because I'm going to go, it's quite an extensive story, but I'm going to go, I'm going to push through the key aspects of this story. So in Genesis 25, 21, you have Isaac and his wife, who? Isaac and, who's, somebody said it? Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. And Isaac and Rebecca had trouble having children, and back in those times, children are very important. Actually, children are always important. But to not be able to have children, that was actually a sign that you, there was something wrong with you. And it would actually portray you to everyone around you as there was something wrong with you. And so, as the story goes, Isaac prays to God and... Rebecca falls pregnant. And as the story kind of continues, something happens. And, and, and Rebecca senses that something's going on and there's something going on in her belly as, as the pregnancy unfolds. And she talks to God about it and she goes, God, what's going on? And God says something very fascinating. He says, two nations are in your womb. Two nations are... The, 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 the offs- or the, your offspring who will then go on to create two nations are in your womb. And what's interesting, he actually prophesies and he says, the older will serve the younger. And as it plays out, Rebecca bears or has two kids, two children, twins. And I want to pause here for a moment and just let you know that names have very important meaning in the Bible. And I say that a little bit with tongue-in-cheek because one of these names is fascinating, the other one's not so fascinating, okay? So she has two children, like, and I'll, I'll give you an example, like Adam, who knows what Adam means? Kaylee. Uh, no, sort of, close. Somebody else? Adam, what does Adam mean? Uh, not of God, it means man of the earth. Because Adam was what? He was crafted or created or formed from the earth. Okay, so Adam, if your name is Adam, cool. Your name means of the earth. My name, Cameron, Crooked Stream. (laughs) (laughs) So when my parents named me, you can tell that they weren't like, oh, this baby is very much like that Crooked Stream. (laughs) Um, Okay? It's not very interesting, okay? But everyone's name has meaning, um, and I love meanings to names. They're very, they're very interesting, and the Bible is no different. The Bible, actually, the names of, of people in the Bible have meaning to it. And so the first one comes out, and they, who knows the story? What do they call him? 
Esau, because Esau means, who knows? Hairy. Even in the text, it goes, they called him Esau because he was hairy and red. Or he was hairy all over. Okay, so they called him Esau. So that's not really that important or that meaningful, is it? It's just like, oh, he's hairy, Esau. <laughs> Let's call him Harry. And imagine that. Hey, hairy one, come over here. The second one comes out, and it's interesting here because the experience that they have when giving birth, the second one comes out with its hand grabbing hold of the foot of the first one. And there's an implication in there that this, the, the hand reaching out to hold on to the foot of the first one is that it's trying to pull the other twin or the brother back in so he can then be born first. And it's very interesting because they give this next one a name that actually attributes to that action. They call it who? Jacob. Who knows what Jacob means? Cool dude. Deceiver. Deceiver or supplanter or to take over or to try and control or coerce somebody to do what they want you to do. So sorry if your name's Jacob. And the Bible's very specific about this next text. It almost, like, it's specific, but it just runs through it really quickly. It says something like this. It says, Esau, uh, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. What does that tell us about the family dynamics? Sorry? Not good. Who's ever experienced favoritism in their family? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, you being the favorite, Matt? <laughs> <clears throat> these, are, these are just describing the wounds that they're receiving off the bat, okay? Isaac loves Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And you can imagine the dynamics as they're growing up that, you know, Esau might say to Jacob, oh, dad loves me more than he loves you. And what does Jacob say? Well, mum loves me better than she loves you. And you would see it play out and these wounds would be happening to them as they're growing up and this rivalry created. Remembering the story, two nations. And that rivalry, if you've paid attention to the news and you've paid attention to history, is still playing out. And the story continues that Jacob actually starts living up to his name and we just get a snippet, we get a story, a brief story that goes, yeah, Jacob was actually living up to his name. And that story comes as a, as a, as a sort of like, just straight after the bat of like, they've had birth, this is what they're like, and then here's this story. Jacob, he's a supplanter, he's a deceiver, absolutely. And that comes through this situation where Esau comes back from a hunting trip because Esau was manly, he was hairy, he would go out and hunt and he comes back from this hunting trip and, and who's, at the, who's at the campsite? Well, the women and Jacob. And there's Jacob hanging out with mum because mum loves him. And Esau comes back and he's just had a strenuous, perhaps a, like a, a hectic day of hunting and he's hungry, he's starving, he's trying to provide for the camp and he comes back and here's Jacob cooking up some lentils and he comes to Jacob, he's like, oh, I'm starving, I need food, I'm going to die if I don't get any food. And Jacob's like, aha, uh -huh. this is my chance. And he says, I will give you a bowl of lentils if you give me something in return. And who knows what, he gives, what Esau gives him in return? His birthright. 
Esau gives up his birthright because Jacob deceives him. Jacob supplants him. Jacob weasels his way around to get what he wants and Jacob living up to his name. And so Jacob bribes his brother for some food of an example of the type of guy Jacob was. But time goes by and Isaac starts to get on in years. He gets older and he starts to lose his sight and he gets this sense that he's probably going to die soon. And tradition was to pass on the blessings of the family to the oldest, the firstborn. And so Isaac, he calls Esau into his tent and he says, Esau, go out and hunt and, and, and bring back and prepare a meal so I can perform a ceremony to bless you. But Rebecca, his wife, overhears this conversation and she starts to scheme and plan and plot and to get Jacob the blessings rather than get Esau the blessings. And she calls Jacob in and she's like, I've overheard this, your brother's going to go hunting and and he's going to prepare a meal so that your dad can perform the blessing ceremony. I'm going to prepare a meal that you're going to take in and replace your brother. So that you get, the, you get the blessing rather than Esau. And so she says, I've got a plan. Get, get your brother's clothes, get some goat's hair, strap it to you so you're hairy like him, so you smell like him. And, 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 and so Isaac won't know that you're Jacob, that he'll, that he'll think you're Esau. And Jacob's a bit nervous about this, but he goes ahead with the plan. And the plan unfolds and Rebecca gives Jacob some food and he goes in to see Isaac and his father. And and it's interesting because straight away Isaac says, who are you? And what's Jacob's response? I'm Esau. Isaac must have suspected something because he he asks him almost three times. He smells Jacob. And he starts investigating and he starts trying to figure out, is this actually Esau? Is it? Well, Jacob's wearing Esau's clothes and so there's a, there's a smell sort of, Isaac, uh, of Esau as well. And Isaac asks him one more time, who are you? And Jacob responds with, I'm Esau. And so the blessings are then passed to Jacob. He fools his father into thinking that he's Esau and the blessings passed to him. And Esau comes in almost straight away as the story unfolds in the Bible from hunting. He almost comes in straight away and he prepares the meal and he comes in to see Isaac. But Isaac's already passed on the blessing and Esau goes into a rage. And, and this is a direct quote from scripture. It says, isn't his name rightly Jacob, the supplanter? He took my, my birthright and my blessings. I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to kill him. And Rebecca, always eavesdropping, overhears this and quickly gets Jacob and gets Jacob all prepared and, he, and, and says to Jacob, go, run to Laban, run to one of your relatives' place, get there quickly because you're going to die because Esau's out to kill you. And Jacob runs. And over the next decade or so, he then returns home. He finds out that his mother's passed away and he comes back home. 
And during that time, he's produced, he's gained quite a lot of wealth through the years of working for his, his uncle Laban. He's gotten married to two women, probably not recommended. Very wealthy, and he remembers where he left things off with Esau. And so he sends messages to go before him, and they come back to him saying, Esau got the message, and he's coming to meet you with 400 men. Jacob, rightfully so, becomes fearful. And he does something interesting. He splits his family into two. He sends one one way and the other another way as though in a preparation to go, if Esau gets one of them, at least half will survive. He sends heaps of wealth Esau's way in the hope to soften his brother's heart, but to no avail. Esau continues to come with 400 men. And Jacob is afraid and he goes for a walk by himself. He goes for a walk by himself at night to think about the situation, to reflect on his past and to be alone with his thoughts. And what's interesting is God shows up. It doesn't say God, it says a man. But implied in the text is it's God shows up and begins to wrestle with Jacob. And they wrestle all night, the Bible says. They wrestled until the morning almost comes. And Jacob realizes that this isn't an ordinary man. This is somebody different. And and those of you, um, I've got a brother and we used to wrestle constantly. Fight constantly. Wrestle all the time. And, And you get to know a bit about their moves, a bit about them, all this sort of stuff. When you're fighting somebody, you get to know a little bit about them. And Jacob realizes that he's not just fighting with a person, he's fighting with somebody that seems to not be out to kill him. He's fighting with somebody that probably doesn't have any harm against him. And what's interesting, as the story unfolds, he's wrestling, and, and the title that I have to this section is, he's wrestling with God. And as he's wrestling, God dislocates Jacob's hip. And as morning comes up, God dislocates his hip, and, but Jacob clings to the bean. And he doesn't want to let him go. And God says, let me find it for you. He says in verse 26 of chapter 32, he says, let me go. God says this to Jacob, let me go. But Jacob responds and he says, I will not let you go until you do something for me, until you bless me. Jacob senses that he's wrestling with the divine being and the one that can give out blessings. And so he wrestles and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God brings Jacob full circle straight back to where the wound began. And he asks him a full circle question and he says, what is your name? Who are you? Are you Esau? Or are you someone else? 
He says, what is your name? Who are you? And Jacob finally responds with the truth. I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. I'm the supplanter. I'm the deceiver. I'm the one that's broken. I'm the one who stole my brother's birthright, stole his blessings, stole everything from him. I'm the one who got myself in this situation. I'm the one who wounded myself. How many of us today need to be brought full circle to where our wounds began? Through the choices that we've made to the wounds that we've hurt ourselves with. And here Jacob is brought full circle. I'm this. This is what I've done. This is the truth of the matter and now I'm being accountable before God. And the fascinating thing is how God responds to that. God says, nope, no you're not. You're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. Now your name is Israel. Now you, now you have a name which describes what I see in you. And who knows what Israel means? One who wrestles with God. In an adversarial fashion, yes, but also wrestles with God on his side. One who has the victory with God. And this is where the healing process to our wounds begins. You might have experienced things in your life like abandonment, abuse, both um, all, all types of abuse happen to us. We have emotional, physical, sexual, verbal abuse, etc. All these types of abuses that happen to us, we might have experienced neglect, we might have been bullied, we might have been belittled, disregarded, disrespected, ignored. And you're probably thinking, yes, I recall some of these wounds that happened to me. And these lead you to put on identities, put on faces, pressured to act in a certain way, feeling you need to live up to a certain identity, feeling you aren't good enough, aren't beautiful enough, aren't talented enough, aren't skinny enough, aren't strong enough. Whatever it is that you think you aren't good enough at, even identifying yourselves as only with these wounds, the wound is the thing that identifies you. And I want you to think about those wounds, think about those hurts, and then put them in the context that God knows the wounds on your heart and my heart. And he wants to heal you and me from those wounds. He says to us through his Holy Spirit, I see those wounds. I know they're there. Let me heal you from them with my love. Let me take away all the past hurts and wounds and let me highlight the good qualities and the beauty and the awesomeness that I gave you. It was actually my dad that encouraged me to be a pastor again, something 17 odd years later after that experience. After I'd been reintroduced to God and dad suggested and supported and encouraged me in my journey through Avondale College to become a pastor. Something I believe God had planned for me my whole life. I just didn't know. But God knew and God quietly guided. And my relationship with my dad and, and me has never been better. 
Yes, he came back somebody different, but I've loved getting to know who he is now and how his relationship with God never faltered. And so we, are, we too have a future of being healed from our wounds. And when you put your identity in Jesus, you find that these wounds slowly begin to heal, slowly begin to get better. And at the end of this whole sin problem, the hope is, the end of it, all of this sin problem, Jesus says that he has something for you. He says there will be a time when all tears will be wiped away from your face. And the person who does it is Jesus. And then he says, not only that, there's something else I have for you. He says, I have a a white stone. And on that stone, a name will be written. A name that only you and he will know. An identity that only you and he will know. And that will be a point of intimacy for both you and God. And I look forward to that moment to receive that stone from Jesus where he'll have a new name for me, a new identity, somebody that he's seen me all the way through my life. And even though I've wounded myself, I've hurt myself through the sins that I've done and the things that I've done, he said, I've always seen you as the person on that stone. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, what an amazing God that you are that that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the gospel message, it's not about just saving us from sins. Yes, that is a huge, significant part of that part of it. But Lord, it's, it's also about the idea of healing us from our wounds. Sin comes into the world and, and, and yes, causes death, causes hurts, all this sort of stuff, but it wounds our very hearts. It wounds our very experience. And here, Lord, you're trying and striving to heal us today. And every day we commit our lives to you. And Lord, what a magnificent God that is. And so sometimes, Lord, we put on facades, sometimes we put on identity, sometimes we lie to others and even ourselves about who we are, but Lord, our identity is ultimately in you. And through honesty in our identity, you can heal us through that. Heal us through the wounds on our heart. Heal us through the experiences that we've had. And so, Lord, I pray that each person here is experiencing a healing process from you. And through that process, you are being glorified in each of their lives. And that that cannot be kept to ourselves, that that needs to be shared. Needs to be shared in the way we interact with people. Needs to be shared in the way we share this with people. Needs to be shared in the way we treat people. And so, Lord, we just pray that you are glorified and that a healing process is recognized for each of us. We pray this in your loving, precious name, Jesus. Amen.